Welcome to the Recruitment Mentors Podcast. My name is Hisha Mazuz. Today we're back with another edition of the Early On in Recruitment series where we're sitting down with recruitment professionals who are early on in their recruitment journey to find out what they've learned so far, what they found difficult, and most importantly, what advice they have for people who are also early on in their career in recruitment, but also considering a career in recruitment. Delighted to be joined by Harry today. Before we get started, Harry, if you could introduce yourself for those that may not know who you are, and we'll get into it. So my name's Harry Young. I've been recruiting finance in central Scotland, first in Edinburgh and more recently with a focus on Glasgow in the West for the last two years. And I started out doing transactional level finance and I've progressed to doing mid to senior level hires, mainly in commerce and industry, although I've recruited due to the pandemic in finance in a number of sectors. So I've recruited into practice, financial services on a temp and term basis, but um, specialising in in, uh, mid to senior level commerce and industry now. Love it. And then you graduated University of West of Scotland in the commercial music in 2019. Talk to me, what's the backstory there? Did you have some aspirations to be some sort of DJ or musician or what? Well, I didn't have aspirations to be a musician. It wasn't so much a DJ. Maybe be, people are always surprised when I tell them, but once upon a time, I harbored ambitions of being a singer-songwriter. So Really? Have you ever, have you ever been on The X Factor? No, but I used to, used to, get, approached, oh. used to get approached every year. Because that's actually, people don't actually realize, particularly in the last kind of, last kind of half of the X Factor's run, like the majority of the people that went on were actually like scouted oh, okay. from social media and stuff like that. So used to get um get tapped up for that every year, but I never I never wanted to do that. Never wanted to What was your type of music? What was your vibe? I can't believe we're getting into this on it. Sorry mate, it's just, <laughs> it's unique. It's interesting. Did you we'll move on, but what what was your style of music out of interest? It was like singer songwriter stuff like okay john mayer was my big hero i used to love oasis and all that that's kind of what got me into guitar music and then it nice. progressed into like john mayer and i got a little bit more experimental by the end but so i kind of i actually went to study business initially and i dropped out because i wanted okay. to pursue a career in music whilst i was still young so i was only 18 i was just out of school and i was like well the time to do this is now because i don't want to be the guy as you say that's 30 and then going on the x factor no one wants to be that guy so <laughs> i'll get it out of the way i get it in my system whilst i'm young and um, but i think it was one of those ones where by going to study it maybe Helped me to see. I got a degree out of it, but it helped me to see that actually that was a hobby. As a okay, fair, love that. You know, I was just curious. I just, I just, I didn't expect. I didn't, I didn't expect that. Which is why I wanted to ask. Oh, so no, I got to know you a bit. Actually, no, but like honestly, because <laughs> me like two years ago, my friends still make fun of me. I've got like, like long hair, like it's, really. Yeah, I mean, not the slick corporate, yeah, young executive. <laughs> <laughs> it's changed. It. <laughs> love that. Right, so let let's get into this. So, what what I want to know first is. As we were just talking about, so graduated in 2019 with a yeah degree in commercial music. Like, how how the hell did you end up in recruitment? Then talk to us a bit about that. A lot of people talk about like, oh, I fell into recruitment, but actually, uh, my journey to recruitment was actually quite intentional. So when I was um, finishing up at uni, I was doing my PT qualifications at the same time, and um, so yeah. my other hobby that I realised was a hobby and not a not <laughs> career, which is good. Again, it's good to good to good to work those things out while you're young. I think so. I didn't know what I wanted to do when I left uni, but I knew that I wasn't. I didn't want to work in music, as it were. Like um, so, I was doing my PT qualifications. I managed to finish up my degree and and get through all those qualifications in four or five months. And the gym that I trained at offered me a job. And so I knew that. Okay. I'd been training there for years anyway. So I started work as a personal trainer. 
Now, it was when I was doing that that I realized that I had a flair for sales because um, I broke a sales record in terms of most like, direct debits um, sold in a week. And I had no qualms about saying it, but like I'm selling you know, 40 to 45 pound a head PT sessions. I'm seeing like 11, 12 pounds an hour. And I was like, there's got to be a disconnect here a wee bit. So I was building up my client base. Wait, is that how it works? You're selling 45 pound PT sessions and, you would, and you'd be on an hourly rate? Well, basically in commercial gyms, right? The idea is, so if you start in a, in a big commercial, like, uh, let's say, like a David Lloyd or a Virgin, although I'm not going to say where I worked, you can say my LinkedIn anyway, so I worked at David Lloyd. <laughs> it's on a sliding scale, to a degree, kind of like how a recruitment bonus scheme might work. So if you have 20 clients, you'll see £11 an hour, and once you get 20 to 25 sessions a week, but it's done monthly. My point was, I was doing a lot of selling and enjoying the selling, and um, I didn't feel like I was getting sufficiently remunerated. Yeah, exactly. And um, one thing I realized as well is I love training myself and my mates. And I love training some of my clients as well, and we had some like, fantastic success stories. I'm really proud of, and I really do feel like I really it is, it is really great to see the same way it's great to get. Yeah, it must be really rewarding. See people make changes to their life that you've helped them understand. That's a good thing. There's a lot of misinformation about health and fitness online, and it's hard. It's, it's important to cut through that. I think, but um, I probably enjoyed the selling aspect more than doing the sessions and getting up at five in the morning and training people. And people mainly want PT sessions in the morning before work, at lunch, after work on the weekend. Yeah, yeah. When you're 21, 22, is all the times that you do not want to be working. So I was kind of thinking to myself, I'm working hours I don't really want to work. I don't feel like I'm getting remunerated for how much revenue I'm bringing into this business. Where can I use my skill set? And I didn't want to go back to do higher education. So I spoke to people that worked in investment management, commercial property. And then my stepdad um, owned an SME business and had recently used a recruiter to recruit a fairly senior position. There's a guy called David Torell who actually co-founded Morgan McKinley. So I had oh, wow. um, a couple of my mates had said to me, maybe we should try recruitment because I'm always, even with the music although and the PT, although it's not, you would never think of oh, recruitment from that. But actually, all both of those things are very people-driven industries. PT sales in my eyes. Yeah, it is. Like- there's no way you're getting any sessions unless you're going up to people, building relationships, building rapport, solving problems, helping them see the problem they want to solve. That's perfect. Music is very much about people as well. It's just like about connecting with people in a slightly different way, but it's all still about building relationships and getting people to see things and feel things, whatever it is. So a few people said to me, and I said to my stepdad, and he said, well, I can tee you up a call, hopefully, with David Torell. And David Torell was kind enough to spend a couple hours between the phone explaining things, and I felt, oh, wow. I, felt I had the right skill set for recruitment obviously when you start in recruitment as as i'm sure everyone that comes on this podcast will tell you and um i've spoken to my directors in my business about this and it's like, you know you don't quite know it's kind of hard to explain to people what it's actually like but i felt like in terms of the sales and the people skills and the tenacity and the kind of competitive edge i, I did feel like I, I had all those things yeah you had a lot of good grounding yeah love that i didn't want to go back and study so i was like yeah what job can i go into that i've got a good skill set for that i can go and make myself a good comfortable living so I can enjoy my life quite quickly around on recruitment. Yeah, no, I love that. Talk to me about, so obviously had a good idea, quite intentional. What I'm interested to find out, which I, I love asking, is like what skills or experiences of recruitment given you that you've least expected? You knew you was going to maybe get more sales experience, people experience, but what, what things has it given you that you least expected out of interest? That's a good question. And the first one that I would think about is being like a truly active listener. Mm. Like I definitely think early on in recruitment, like you just, it's one of those things whereby you learn in recruitment so much more from listening and speaking. <laughs> like in, when you first burn in the phones, you just want to tell people everything like about this amazing job or like, ah, you should work with me for all these things. But actually so much more effective to ask a good question and then just sit back and listen. And then I remember when I was learning about sales for PT, you talk about the golden silence and it's true. And I think because I like the people aspect of it and I'm confident and quite driven 
I'm comfortable speaking to people, so you, there's a danger of speaking too much. But actually, when I stepped back and started listening more to what people were actually telling me and reading between the lines, I got better at doing my job and became more literally consultative. So I would say um, that, and also I would almost say like more. Not that I was unconfident before, but a more genuine confidence coming from a place of feeling like I fully understand my market. Like compared to at the start, like you kind of you feel like you're not worthy of like speaking to the candidate, the client, because you can kind of put them on a pedestal. But then once you truly understand your market, you have that like kind of calm, collected confidence to feel like actually no, I can give you information, and understanding that you don't have and that is of value to you. So probably active listener and being genuinely confident in what I'm doing. Nice. The next question I have for you then is just some of the biggest challenges. Like one of the one, the real common ones that have come out of this series is what you just said. So, so maybe we could start there if you're happy to of like the common challenge is what you just said where like this sort of feeling of inadequacy or like not worthy of or that lack of confidence because I'm calling Harry who's been in finance for five years and I graduated with a commercial music degree six months ago. Do you know what I mean? That sort of feeling of like, oh, should I, what value could I actually give this person? Uh, so like how one, how did you work through that? Obviously time's helped you because now you're like two years in and you built confidence, but what helped you push through that challenge earlier on out of interest? I got over that quite quickly because I don't know if it's because I started doing transactional finance, so quite low-level jobs, but I quickly progressed to be just being given more senior stuff because I was just quite happy to just do things and just fail, fail along the way and just, like, just, just doing stuff. But because of that and because I placed a few people at a level quite early on, once you've placed people at a certain salary level or place in an organisation, I feel like you, have, you can be like, well, you have a track record to yourself. It doesn't matter if you tell them to a candidate. Yeah, yeah. Actually, so I maybe got over that quite quickly, and um, that was maybe just slightly advantageous in terms of the opportunities that my company gave me to work on slightly more senior stuff. So that wasn't—I wouldn't say for me personally—that was a bigger challenge. I remember there's a guy called Ian Atkinson who gave me a really good piece of advice early on in my career, and it was always have a reason to pick up the phone. Like, always know why you're calling someone. Like. It's those horrible, aimless calls. And I've never had a couple of them that really knock your confidence, I think. If you've reviewed the candidate and you know that the job that you're confident about is a, is a right fit for them, it's the right package, it's a good location, and um, is, is gonna, like, you're, you're taking something to them that they may or may not be interested in, but it's a fit, then it's fine. And if you're calling a client and you know that you have a candidate that's, that, like, you know what I mean? If, as long as you know why you're picking up the phone, I feel like people feel like they have to pick up the phone, but just have it clear in your head who you're calling, why you're calling them, and what you want to talk about. And then just give them that opportunity earlier on. So I think if once you've got that clear, it's um, I don't think that's as bad for me or personally. Found it. What what were some of your biggest challenges then? I feel like we've talked about it to death, but like I think um, the biggest challenge for me was probably just the pandemic. To be honest, because I really? started off well. Like, so funnily enough, actually, I didn't start off like that well. Like after I remember my fr- my first six weeks, I had two thing. I had two placements basically. My first two placements both DNS. What does that? Why? What does that mean? Did not start. Like, oh, did not start. Oh wait, so you did so you did two deals first six weeks and they both didn't show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Savage. Well not in, not in before even like the just something went wrong once um so the first one was a guy and they did a background check and there was some kind of like financial irregularity. Didn't work. And the second one um was a girl that like I had didn't really matter, but that like you learn you have to learn to be resilient really quickly. But because of that, like the, the, that was like I started in the October and then by the January I had a, a really, really good quarter. Like I think I did shy of 40k in my first full quarter so i was like wow. excited for my first full year i'm like here we go and then pandemic hit and i'm on furlough for five months <laughs> so i think the biggest challenge for me has been 
this living room that I'm moving out of in a week has been pretty much my office. So as you say, like I've been in recruitment for two years, of which five months I was followed, but ultimately I've only ever been in an office for four and a half months, really. Yeah. Bit more so it's actually been learning to do the job and progress and have promotions and, and go through the highs and lows of, you know, counter offers and doing deals and all those things, but just going through all that by myself in my living room. I found that challenging. Like a lot of the reason that I chose to get into recruitment was because of that people aspect of meeting people and the lunches and the exposure to clients and the going to visit people and just getting the buzz of that and just felt like I've been quite deprived of that. And even the indirect learning you get from being around experienced consultants, you know, in a good firm and office, you pick up so much stuff indirectly just by being in their presence and just hearing like their mannerisms and stuff on the phone. So I think the biggest challenge for me has been keeping myself driven and motivated and doing that from my living room and going through all the highs and lows myself because I've had obviously support. Yeah, that's tough, man. So I think that I think the biggest challenge has just been COVID, as I'm sure it's been for you know. Yeah, 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 for sure. Well, so mentally, then a common thing that you hear a lot, I think, in recruitment, particularly early on, is sort of people like burning out and like I guess. Because it could have been really, and you might have, but like it could have been really easy for you in that, like as you've been working in your living room, literally to like just always have your work mind on and like always think there's something that you could be doing. There's that email that I could send or there's that person I could connect with or whatever. How have you coped with that mentally? I'm sure you've had good days and bad days, obviously. Do you know what? It's funny that you say that. So when I came back from furlough, I was so keen to hit the ground running. Having had a good start and felt deprived, I was like, I'm going to give it absolutely everything and I did burn myself out because I was doing like 12 hour days. And you're right because you don't have those dividing lines between work and life. Especially, you know, it got worse when the gyms were shut as well. Like, and you know, everything was shut and it's like, you're just constantly losing these dividing lines and life just bleeds into, you know, all the aspects of your life bleed into each other, which is not how it should be. You should have, you know, time to work, time to rest. And I always, you know, I love the quote, like if you don't pick a day to rest, your body will pick it for you. You need to get a balance. And I didn't. So again, I probably learned by failing at that. Like I remember I got to the end of November and I would like been flat out coming back for eight weeks and been doing an unsustainable amount of time and I just was burnt out. It's an ongoing thing. Like it's an ongoing thing you're trying to balance. But I had to teach myself to work at 90% consistently rather than at 115% for two two months and then be like exhausted, like mentally and drained and just like rest. And I guess, in, especially early on in recruitment, that is such a thing, like finding your sweet spot. Like I think Jordan Peterson talks about you should... Um, Everyone should work as hard as they can, like at least for a bit when they're young, to just work out what their thresholds are. Do you know? Mm. I understand yeah, yeah. something like it's an interesting quote, and it's like you know the people that do the extra ten percent of work get like extra forty percent of rewards. So I'm always thinking about that, you know, just doing that extra bit. But it's it's important. I've realised, you know, there is a balance that has to be struck. Where it can get dangerous, I think, is you're really talking about the internal pressure that you're putting on yourself. I think where this can get really difficult and what can sometimes lead is like, if I walk into an office and I'm like literally working myself to the ground and I'm dealing with my own internal pressure because I want to perform, do well, prove people wrong, prove people that I can do it. But then I'm also can feel the pressure of like my manager or my environment that's, that I can feel that as well. And, and that can that can be even worse, I think, which is tough, tough to deal with. This podcast is proudly partnered with Vincheri, the recruitment operating system for your front, middle, and back office. So I recently recorded a podcast with James Layton from the Anderson James Group, which will be out really soon. And as part of our conversation, we got into the topic of the best tools that he's invested in so far in his business journey. And guess what? Vincheri was up there and also Sourcebreaker was. 
But in this very short snippet, you're going to hear why James is so happy to be a VinCherry customer. And look, who's better to tell you about their product and why you should be considering VinCherry as your operating system partner than their customers themselves. Here's what James had to say. We implemented VinCherry right in the heat of lockdown. We decided that it was the right time. The old system that we used was clunky. I'm a real, real, real believer of VinCherry as a system. I must have recommended 20 people to VinCherry over the years because I think they're going to change the game. And I can say that wholeheartedly, having used Bullhorn and another product, I can say that VinCherry is number one in that world for a growing recruitment business because it's intuitive, it's got intelligence suites, it's got everything that you probably need to... Yeah, it's a whole operating system, not just a CRM, is it? Is this the whole point? Yeah, it's, and yeah. It, it's brilliant. And they're brilliant. Like, you know, Eloise and the team there, they're, they're great. And they're always there if you need them for anything. I think in that sense, I was probably quite lucky. You know, my manager at the time, the woman named Lindsay, and she offered me a huge amount of support through the pandemic. You know, there's, there's always things that companies could and could have done better or worse. And, you know, everyone was trying to work out, you know, what the next move was. But I probably had, was well supported through that period, I think. Yeah, that's great. Because I feel like you would have found it even harder if like, you felt the pressure of your manager of like, Harry, why haven't you done your self-development this week? Or like, why haven't you done this? Why haven't you done that? And then you, you've got your internal pressure bubbling up, external pressure bubbling up. That's tough. I think it's just it's so market dependent as well because, and I'm sure this is the same across all markets, but just like when I was coming back, I think one of the reasons I burnt myself out a bit because, was because it was like there was so many people on the market. There was I, I, They kind of liken it like metaphorically to a big game of musical chairs. You know, a lot of businesses cut hard and fast at the start of the pandemic. A lot of them cut off the nose to spite themselves. There's a lot of good people in the marketplace, which need, which inevitably means that you don't have to use a recruitment agency, essentially, if you can if you can get direct. But the value add is when you have your network and you're able to get those non-active candidates and take them to clients. And um, I was like scrambling around because I was struggling to get jobs and I was just coming back. And then it turned around quite quickly. So I think it's a different thing now because you, when you've got good quality pipeline, like in your actual day-to-day job, you don't feel the pressure so much because you have a... And once you get further in your career as well, like I remember starting out and you're just like so kind of paranoid almost about like where the next deal's coming from because you don't, you're not used to that like natural flow of like the market yet. Do you know that? And you yeah, yeah, yeah. You will generate business just from doing the activities, but you don't know yet. But it takes a while to get used to that. And I probably hadn't had the chance to get used to that due to obviously the pandemic and then coming into such a, a job share market, which is the opposite now. Now it's the opposite of that. And, you know, there's, there's more jobs than candidates and there's a war on talent. So I think it's just getting used to what the natural flow looks like. There's so many people that have started in the last 12 to 24 months won't have had the opportunity to just feel that natural kind of movement. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. So what advice would you give graduates, entry-level talent, entering recruitment now, do you think, knowing what you know now? So you've been on a obviously unique journey, but knowing what you know now, the experience that you've gained and, and gone through, what, what advice would you give people starting out in recruitment? Just be prepared to fail at stuff. Like... Take action, like you will get better at the job just by doing the different things, like even the bits that you don't like. Like you can talk about it and, and I love to talk about it. And, uh, and this is, I have to take my own advice sometimes as well, even now, but like the reason that I was able to probably progress my career quite quickly was because I was prepared to occasionally look stupid in the pursuit of being better at my job, you know, because you learn more from your failures and your successes. Like I think in anything in life, you know, there's a lot more stuff so you can always like, so just be prepared to fail and take action. Go and learn your market. Because if you feel like you understand what you're talking to your clients and your candidates about, it makes such a huge difference. It just even in the, the subtleties of your voice and the call and the tone of your call, like if you really know what you're talking about, and look, I, I'm not, I don't claim to be an accountant like I can't produce a set of accounts, but 
if someone comes to me and says they need an accountant that can do these things, I know how to go and get that and I feel comfortable speaking to a client and candidate about what that looks like. So be prepared to fail, take action and truly make an effort to go and understand your market because as I say, if you understand what you're talking to people about, it will make a huge difference. Yeah, it just gives you more confidence, yeah. What are some of the things that you've done? Have you just like gone like, really deep into like researching your world, reading relevant articles? Have you really use your own advice of active listening and trying to speak to as many candidates as possible what things have sort of sped up that process of going from incompetent and not knowing your market to competent and knowing your market if you want to know what an accountant does the best thing to do is ask an accountant so what i used to do is or i still do especially now i'm moving to the more senior stuff up like so what does your day-to-day look like tell me what your day-to-day looks like and people that's what people do People love to talk about what they do, especially at the more senior level, because they've built careers out of doing it. So and just let them speak and just listen and hear them talk about it and how they're phrasing it and how they're discussing it. And you get an understanding of how it all interplays to each other. And then you have those like eureka moments. And you're like, oh, that makes sense because of that. And you, you gain an understanding of it. One thing I did as well, I've got a few friends that are like trainee accountants. So I would just, I would call them. I would be like, what's a variance analysis? You know, what's a, what's a PPV? You know, what, what's the difference between stat accounting and management accounting? I would just ask them. And it would get them to tell me because so I'm not trying to recruit them, but they're studying accounting. So just use the resources available to you. And there's even like, like YouTube is like the biggest free resource in the world like for this kind of stuff. There'll probably be for most industries, someone in that industry talking about what they do, how they do it. Even just reading job specs and like, and reading articles, like there's just so much there and you don't have to understand everything. But if you just chip away at it day by day, and I just think the main one is just really listening to your candidates when you ask them what they do. It's just like looking at their CV and but really trying to listen and be like uh, and understand what it is they do. As I say, I can't produce a set of accounts, but to a level, I have an understanding of how to talk about it and engage with it, and I know what people mean when they're discussing it with me. So, and it will be different for every market. But my advice would be just to speak to people. And like one of the things that I'm quite keen to do is get a mentor, like who's like an FD. That's one of my plans for self development for the next twelve months, so I can actually see like in real life on ground level what it actually looks like because I feel like that will add the further kind of strength to my bow. So I guess just being, just thinking kind of rationally about you know, where, where I can actually find that information. But I think YouTube, listen to your candidates and use any connections that you've got from your um, from your kind of personal life, I guess, that might have any relevant knowledge because people want to help. Yeah, no, I love that. So let's sort of change gears here for a second. Obviously, knowing what you, like you said earlier, like there's a definitely a sort of a lot of businesses wanting to hire people across most sectors, therefore the same in the recruitment world. So you'd like to think as a, a person wanting to get into recruitment, you've probably got a good chance of landing yourself a job. But knowing what you know now, what advice would you give me if I want to stand out amongst people that also want to get into recruitment? One of the things that probably, if I'm being honest, I feel like, well, I know for a fact, I'm speaking to the senior people in my business probably set me apart when I tried to get into recruitment was because I had sat down with David Twiddle for two hours on the phone, very kind of him to give me his time, given his background, probably did give me a bit of a, but he had explained to me the recruitment market. I actually spoke to a really helpful rec as well. And at the time I didn't realize what direct direct, you know what I mean? Really? <laughs> yeah. When I was like getting my CV out online and he spent some time as well explaining to me the actual, the way recruitment works. And I, I always think it's so hard to explain to anyone like what a recruitment consultant does day to day. But, um, and I just helped a friend of mine actually get a job in recruitment. And he wanted to do that. I set him up with director rec. I set him up with a few directors of people I know, and he's been offered a job in South September. But what they said to him for his final interview was go away and actually learn and understand recruitment more. So I sat down and explained to him, at least the surface level stuff of what the recruitment market looks like. So my first advice would be go and understand what recruitment actually is. So think about things like the difference between like temp, 
term fixed term contracts, what con- contingent retains, the different levels, you know, like high street agencies, mid market boutiques, exec search. You know, think about things like where where would you get a candidate from? You know, how would you do a job? What do sales look like? What skills do you need? And just again, go and speak to someone that works in recruitment, or go and speak to and people. I'm sure, like if you don't know someone, reach out to me. I'm I'm always happy to to give a bit of guidance on this kind of stuff. Like go and understand what recruitment is first of all. Look in your local area and establish who the good recruitment brands are and establish if you think like you're the sort of personality that'd be better in a big corporate like a Michael Page or a Hayes or want to be somewhere you know smaller like a, a boutique firm and where you might get more attention but be a different type of structure like I'm probably more suited to that because I like seeing how the business operates and being more of more of a part of it which is which has probably helped me so there's lots of different kind of things to do but I think to ha- understand your local area and I think as well if you have a degree that has a relevant background or you have relevant experience try and tie that into the market you want to go into because then you give yourself an immediate advantage against your competitors like if you have a law degree but you don't want to do law then going into legal recruitment is probably not the worst idea because when you're speaking to candidates and clients having studied it you'll have an understanding therefore you can relate to that yeah you immediately go in with a level of understanding that someone from a different background so just think about the knowledge that you that you might have picked up from a degree or from um, different sectors absolutely i think i think it's just going above and beyond right and i think if most recruitment businesses if you're listening to this and you're considering getting into recruitment then the, the best advice is to be proactive like if you're already showing signs of oh, Harry's actually gone out of his way to try and connect with me or send me a message or make himself known to me. That's what you're going to be doing in recruitment or trying to be doing that. So it's just a great thing to show straight off out of the gate if you're showing that initiative. A couple of things before we finish them. Is recruitment, I know you spoke a bit about this, but like, is recruitment really as intense as everyone thinks it is? How do you feel about that? I think it can be like... I think it can be. I think you probably lead people down the garden path to think it's not. And I think it depends on your personality as well. Like, I think it's really intense at the start because you, you've not taught yourself to, to not get too invested in the highs and the lows yet. It's really hard to not do that when you've not done it because you do a big deal and it's uh, very exciting. Or you lose someone last minute and you lose it and it's very, very disappointing. So I think the more you disengage from the result and get focused on the process, the more balanced and consistent you'll be. But that's hard to do at the start. So I think at the start it is intense and I think for a lot of people as well, and the reason it's such a high churn is there's a lot to be good. There's a lot of stuff you need to incorporate quite quickly. Uh, because, you know, you, you meet people that, are, that you know, have a more of a slower burn of a career, but to like to really hit the ground running, you need to take on a lot of knowledge quite quickly, I think. And it can be quite a lot. And, you know, if you speak to, I remember speaking to senior consultants across different businesses when I first started out and they were saying like, there'll, be, there'll come a point in nine or 12 months in when it does just click. Yeah, it really does. Yeah, I think, and I think that you have to get... It's hard to see that though when you're in it sometimes, isn't it? Yeah, it's kind of like blind faith because there's just so much different stuff going on. Eventually it does, but you have to have the like, kind of the mindset to get to that point. And when it does start clicking, it's, it is really satisfying. And even, do you know what? It is still intense, like, and especially in this marketplace at the moment because it's hyper-competitive, you know, for candidates, for me particularly. So, but I, I think it's probably less so the more you get into understanding. But I guess as you progress further up, hopefully as I progress further in my career, there's, there's different types of intensities in terms of if you're taking a team or taking a more active role operation in a business so i think it's maybe just a different type of intensity rather i think at the start the intensity is i'm trying to understand this yeah good overview so, so i have to ask you because it's your world and um i did a post about this not not too long ago financial literacy why do you think like more people aren't taught this what do you mean in terms of like per- better managing their personal finances yeah, just like, obviously you're in the world of finance, accountants or whatever, like, I'm just fascinated by the fact that, like, you went through the whole education system and, like, how much 
help or sort of knowledge did you gain around how to better manage your finances or what compound interest is or what do you know what I mean I'm just baffled by it this is an interesting question and something I've talked to people I think the wider point at play here is that our education system is massively outdated as a whole we are taught things that we'll never use in real life and don't get me wrong like to a degree you need to be able to prove your ability to retain knowledge and learn knowledge and perform in an exam or whatever but what we totally miss is actually teaching people about the world like I remember leaving leaving school at 18 this is probably an example of this not knowing like how a mortgage worked how tax worked how car finance worked and not understanding any of this stuff and yet these are all things that play a massive part in your day-to-day life or understanding what a credit card is and how credit card debt works and you have to go away and learn that stuff yourself and I completely agree with you I think it's baffling that we're not taught it more I think you could be hyper cynical and say people benefit from people not understanding what that is truly I don't know if you know you want to be that cynical but I think it's a shame and I think it's one of those things actually whereby I've only got better at it like I would say like when I was younger especially at university I was terrible at managing my money like really really bad (laughs) I would never deny that you know what I mean well it doesn't matter but um it was actually during lockdown I started reading more books and understanding more about investing and you know what index funds are and how to better manage my money and, and um, you know how, how to and it's kind of stuff that you have to go and learn yourself but I do agree that financial literacy and just understanding of the wider economic environment is not really taught in schools and I think everyone should have a base level understanding of it for sure. It's crazy and it, it is something I'd love to you see it in some recruitment agencies now like one of their employee benefits is like maybe like financial advice or something like that I, I would just love to because like you always hear, you may have heard them on this podcast, may not have, but you, you just hear those stories where, oh, I remember when I was, yeah, t- 22, 24, yeah, m- making quite good money in recruitment and I was just an idiot <laughs> with, with, with my money, right? And as you said, absolutely have to go through those types of experiences to go, yeah, probably not going to spend that on that or maybe that wasn't the best decision you have to sort of arrive at that destination of like oh I want to like try and get better at understanding my money yourself like it's not down to the employees but I don't know I just find it fascinating and I'd love to see it just spoken about more often in the recruitment world itself just because it's very quick like the re-industry is very quick to advertise how much money you could earn but like I think it'd be great if it also advertised that if you do want help or you do want support a lot of agencies can support you with financial literacy or at least give you access to resources that could give you the best possible chance of making decisions that could benefit you now and also 20 30 years down the line this podcast is proudly partnered with the award-winning Sourcebreaker. so again i'm going to tell you about a Sourcebreaker customer story and i love this one because it's a story that this person will remember forever because Sourcebreaker enabled them to make their first deal. And we all remember our first placement. So here's another Sourcebreaker story for you. First client signed, one CV, one interview, one job offer, one week. As an apprentice recruitment consultant, I was keen to impress and get my first client under my belt. After setting up a call with a potential client, it became apparent that they needed help with a vacancy that had been live for some time. They needed very precise, specific experience and ASAP. We've all heard that before. I thought, where better to start than Sourcebreaker? I popped in the job title and the specific experience that this client needed. And guess what? Outcomes, one person, immediately available, perfect. I picked up the phone and told this person about the role. And guess what? It was a match made in heaven. 
I absolutely love those calls. He was interviewed the next morning, 9am, and the rest is history. Always check Sourcebreaker first. Couldn't have done it without you. If you haven't checked out Sourcebreaker yet, please go and check it out. Get yourself a demo. It will be a great 30 minutes worth of your time and start sharing stories just like this. 100%, I think. I hadn't actually heard of that as a, as a benefit for an agency before, but I think that's a really good thing. I've seen more and more agencies have that benefit, like have access to a financial advisor if they want it and stuff like that. I see 25-year-olds earning like six figures and it's like... That's what I mean. That's one of obviously the, the reasons that people maybe take a step into the recruitment world because it can be very lucrative. But, you know, it's, it's just interesting. I just think that I, I totally agree with you on the wider point that the education system to a degree is outdated to the population that it serves now. So financial literacy should be a thing that is taught in schools. So people understand yeah, yeah. just just base level stuff, like just really, really basic stuff. And the fact that, you know, people maybe have that support and a recruit. I think, you know what, I think in a wider sense of the word, the last 18 months is probably people are much more, employers in general are much better around employee well-being and offering people the support because we've all been such a kind of shared trauma in the last 18 months. I think um, there is much better support around personal finances and wider things, just like generally about employee well-being and giving people the support they need in a wider sense. So I think that's positive to see. And I, I do hope that continues, not just in recruitment, but across other industries as well. And, and people are best supported because ultimately, if you take care of your people, they'll take care of you. Yeah, agreed. I know you're a big reader. I'm just going to share a real, real quick book that I've read on in the finance world that's really helped me. don't know if you have any that really helped you, but just for anyone, if you're listening to this, you want to check out a book I, I think was really well written. I think it was class, basically. It's called How to Own the World. A plain English guide to thinking globally and investing wisely. It's it's like been around for ages, but there's sort of been a latest edition. Um, a guy called Andrew uh, Craig and Roger Gifford, both people that were like entrenched in the finance world and were just baffled by all of the knowledge that they had wasn't shared or other people didn't know it. Right, so so many people go through life not understanding finance or even learning about it. So yeah, great great book on that. How to own the world. Anything that you've read that's helped you out of interest? Absolutely. The first one that comes to mind that I've read in the last 12 months is Morgan Housel, The Psychology of Money. What a fascinating book. It's honestly, and it's so well written as well. There's 19 chapters. Some of them are quite short, so it's quite readable. Even if you're not a big reader, it's quite like bite-sized. It's just fascinating. An American guy lived in New York. He's worked in finance at various points, but he's basically explaining all sorts of different things. But the most interesting kind of way that it's framed is just in terms of it's all around how our thoughts and our minds and what we're exposed to and stuff. When we're young, influence our spending decisions on our ability to make money, retain money. For anyone in recruitment, it's a good read for sure. So before I ask you the final question then, to, I guess, title together with some of the things that you've been shared, that you've shared in this conversation, top maybe three tips from you on for people who want to finish their first year on a high, what comes up for you? Top three tips. Plan your day the night before because... If you know what you're going to do, it's easy to do it. Do you know what I mean? It's like, what, I remember, say one minute, one, I remember reading something, it was like one minute planning is worth 15 minutes of action. So if you just spend 10 minutes planning, you pretty much set yourself up for a morning or an afternoon. So plan your day, positive mindset. The subtleties of that kind of stuff comes across in conversation with candidates and clients. Like people, if you pick up the phone and you're, and you're, not, you're not feeling so good or so positive, I do think that comes across. Even if yeah. you don't know it, you're kind of what you're projecting. So plan your day, be positive and... Add value to everyone you can, whether that be co-workers, clients, candidates, in every conversation you have, and every interaction, just seek to add value, even if that's not going to do a deal or win a contract or get a PSL or get your promotion, just try and add value. Do you know what I mean? That cycle of goodwill will perpetuate and it will, it will drive you forward if you're consistently adding value to people's lives. I love that. 
So final question then. Always here, obviously I know you, you didn't fall into this category, but most people will say that they fell into recruitment. I absolutely think recruitment should become more of a career of choice, like I, I did myself because I wanted to expand my sales skills and all of that. So from your experiences so far and how you're feeling about your career in recruitment, like why should more people consider a career in recruitment rather than it being an, an accident? I think in the modern world, like people are going to be, increasingly as things are more autonomous, it's all going to be about soft skills. Like as society changes and develops and as like, you, you see the, the, the announcement last night about Musk's like the, the new robot thing that it's like getting about that Elon Musk has done. It's like the new AI that's going to do like the boring repetitive jobs increasingly. Well, no, I haven't. Is, is that, I know that he's got that neural link, neuro link thing. Is it that? When we're off this call, have a look at this. It's like he's did like an announcement. It's like an AI, like a robot, but it's like way better than the Boston Dynamics ones. It's like they're going to take, they do the boring repetitive jobs. What that means for you as an individual, in my opinion, the way I see the world going the next 20, 25 years is it's the soft skills in terms of being able to engage with people and talk to people and add value and be empathetic and what I would describe as like true business partnering, whether that's finance or HR or legal, wherever it is, but explaining stuff to people. Those soft skills are going to be what I would consider like hyper, one of the hyper-value skills of the future. There's no better way to improve your soft skills in that sense than being in a job that requires you to interface with all different types of stakeholders all the time. So I think you, you future-proof yourself with a skill set, with a recruitment skill set, as long as it's as long as you're going about it in a, with an infinite mindset of always doing the right thing and adding value to people. I think you future-proof yourself by developing excellent personal skills. Obviously, there's the financial rewards if you're good, which are very advantageous. And I think just honestly, it gives it can give you a bit of a purpose. Like for me, I was always a bit like scrabbling around, like oh, I've got these. I've got a skill set, like I feel like I want to, I don't know, be driven at something, but I just, I tried different things and always put everything into it and I hadn't really found what it was, but recruitment kind of gave me a purpose in terms of there's layers of promotion, there's opportunities and that's a, that's a massively powerful thing. I love that emphasis on soft skills, that's, a, that's such a great point, I, I really like that. Harry, been an absolute pleasure, excited to see how uh, your career evolves from afar, thanks for uh, joining me on the pod. Been a pleasure mate, thanks for having me. Well done on making it to the very end of the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I've done my very best to try and level up this podcast that will hopefully mean that you can take even more learnings from these conversations and apply it to your own recruitment career. Like always, if there are any particular topics that you would love me to cover with future guests, then please get in touch with me. The best place to reach me is on LinkedIn. Send me a message. What would you love me to cover with future guests? If you have enjoyed the podcast, then it would be amazing if you could leave a honest review in your favorite podcast streaming platform. That will simply mean that we're able to reach more people with this podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget to subscribe completely free on your favorite podcast streaming platforms and we'll be back next week with a new episode of the recruitment mentors podcast